This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. I'm going to keep uh, Isaiah 42 open, and you will find in the bulletin an outline that may be helpful. Now, it was at Sunday school that my youngest son, Adeni, was telling a joke to teacher Swan. And uh, Swan came back to me and said, hey, Adeni is telling me this joke. I don't understand. No. So the reason she didn't understand is because um, he only told the joke without describing the person. Now, this person uh, is a stand-up comedian, and he was born with uh, deformed arms, okay? And, uh, I mean, commendable to him, he's trying to make it as a stand-up comedian, standing in front of everyone with, uh, you know, deformed arms like that. And then he says, you know, some people come and ask me, is it genetic? Then he says, yes, because my mother is Irish and my father is a lobster, Okay, so that was a joke. Lah. So, you know, without uh, seeing the man with the deformed arms, you know, obviously that joke doesn't make sense. Well, in our time, uh, a man with deformed arms can, you know, go on stage, be a stand-up comedian. But the Gospels describe for us, uh, in the time of Jesus, a man with deformed arm, and he is treated very differently. He's despised, he's disdained, but Jesus treats him with compassion. Because it is described in Matthew chapter 12, where there was a man with a shriveled hand, and the Pharisees are using him to try and trap Jesus, because they know that Jesus, full of compassion, will want to heal that man. Uh, but they're just using him, and then they, 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 they trap him and say, okay, is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? And Jesus replies, now, if you have a sheep and it falls into a pit and it happens to be the Sabbath, will you not take out that sheep? Now, if you would do that to a sheep, then why are you finding fault with me for having compassion on a man? And so Jesus says to the man, stretch out your hand and he heals that man. So it's a, it's a picture of great tenderness and compassion and uh, Matthew, uh, seeing this, understanding this, says and quotes from Isaiah 42. Because it says, this is to fulfill what was written in Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. So friends, we are considering uh, today this passage in Isaiah 42 that points and is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's Ask God to help us as we want to behold this servant. God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, it is so clear who this servant is in Isaiah 42. We do not have to guess. We don't have to uh, debate and disagree. Uh, your word makes it clear that this fulfillment of this servant will accomplish your word. It's none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that as we consider the words in Isaiah 42, you will help us to behold more clearly and grasp with greater understanding and conviction who your Son is and love and follow Him more truly. We pray in His name. Amen. So I hope you are at Isaiah 42. And you know we have entered a new section in Isaiah. 
because the the last chapter of our last section, chapter 39, was the prophecy that uh, Jerusalem, Judah, because of her rebellion, she will go into exile. But chapter 40 begins with the words, comfort, comfort, because judgment, uh, exile, will not be the final word. And here in uh, Isaiah 42, we are introduced to uh, a theme that will be repeated, this theme of this servant, not Israel as the servant who is a failure, but this servant who is different, this servant who will be able to accomplish God's purposes. Now, we didn't look at uh, chapter 41, but it is, uh, I think, crucial for us to see how we have come to chapter 42. And uh, we are using the NIV, and unfortunately, the NIV fails us at this point. So I have uh, put out for us uh, a different translation from the ESV. And in chapter 41, uh, God is having a go at the idols, the idols that the nations trust in. Uh, you know, the nations, they are also, you know, searching for solution. They are also, okay, what are we going to do? Who's going to save us? And their tendency is to trust in their idols. And so, you know, in uh, chapter 41, verse 24, there's that word, behold. And what are we to behold about these idols? You are nothing. These idols are nothing. And your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. So that's the first behold. And then uh, chapter 41, verse 29, another behold. These idols, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty. When behold, behold, how vain it is to trust in these idols. And then the third behold, the first verse of our chapter, behold, not something that is vain and utterly uh, useless, but behold God's solution. Behold the one that is trustworthy. Behold the one that will get the job done. Behold my servant, God says. So you see in your outline that uh, verses 1 to 4 is God talking. Okay, uh, you can go down with this. Verses 1 to 4 in your outline, okay. Uh, God is talking about the servant. And then in verses 5 to 7, he is speaking to the servant. And then 8 to 9, he is speaking to the people. So let's look at verses uh, 1 to 4. What is he speaking about the servant? Well, notice what the servant will do. What is the servant, uh, when he comes, what is it that he will accomplish? Now, if you look at it, uh, you will, I think, easily see three times it is said that this servant will bring justice. Verse 1, he will bring justice to the nations. And then verse 3, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. And then again in verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. Now, so uh, quite clear, uh, the mission of this servant, what this servant will accomplish is justice. Now, I'm standing here, I'm looking at you and, you know, no one's really excited. No one's going like, yeah, you know, justice, you know, yeah, because, I mean, unless... Unless you are a person who is facing and has been facing injustice. You know, when you hear of uh, someone coming to bring about justice, I mean, you won't get very excited. 
Now you can imagine our brothers and sisters in Mali, which uh, Richmond was praying for, facing great injustice, missionaries that have been kidnapped, uh, you know, and all that he said. I don't want to uh, repeat. If you are in that situation, facing such great injustice, and then there is the promise, there is the, 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 the prophecy that justice will come, that will get you excited. So we need to understand what is this justice uh, that is said here that the servant will accomplish. Now when we think of justice, we, I think, rightly think of a situation in Mali, or in Sudan, where the protesters, you know, demonstrating uh, peacefully were killed and beaten up. I mean, we think of, okay, yes, you know, justice means the perpetrators will be brought to court, locked up in jail. The people who are locked up, you know, unjustly will be freed. Okay, we think of justice that way, and that's correct. But the word here has a greater, broader meaning. Think of it as justice in terms of when the ultimate judge, when the ultimate judge is making his just and right judgments, how everything is put right. So this is talking about nothing less than God as king and as judge reigning. And his word and his judgments are carried out. Everything is put right because the ultimate judge, the, the good king, is on his throne and he is making everything in his right place according to his will. That's the, the justice we are talking about. I mean, it's captured for us in how Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Yes, we're not using the word justice there, but that is exactly what we are praying for when we pray that. And so, you know, the word justice, I hope, is starting to get you excited. Because justice is also what will happen in our hearts. Because right now, we talked about the injustice in Mali, we talked about the injustice in Sudan, but you know what is the greatest injustice in our world right now? The greatest injustice. Like what is it? Is it you know, the women being trafficked, the children sold into slavery? I mean, yes, that's great injustice, but at the root of it, the greatest injustice is that there is a God who has made this world, revealed himself in creation and his creatures do not worship him. His creatures, so many of them think that he does not exist and live life self-determining, you know, ignoring him, refusing to worship him. That is the greatest injustice. And so that greatest injustice is found in our own hearts. I mean, just this week, I got upset at the children because I, I said something and then they, they, you know, it was ignored. Now, it wasn't a big thing, but it was, you know, hey, why is it? How come my words have no effect? And I got, I, got so, I got so frustrated. I got so upset at them. God is speaking here now of a time when a servant will establish justice. When we will not fly off the handle over small things. When there will no longer be any impure thoughts in our minds. 
when our hearts, when we do something, it will be for the purest motivation. When there will be no longer any sin. Can you imagine it? A world where you and I will act out of the greatest, purest righteousness. Where everything is put right, even what is at the depth of our hearts, there is righteousness, there is purity. Because this servant, this servant, God says, he will come and he will establish justice. I hope it is a word that is beginning to get you excited. Because, oh, when we see the sin in our lives, when we are confronted again with the, the greed and lust in, in, in our hearts, and then we think, will it ever end? And the answer is, it will. Because this servant, verse 4, he will not falter or be discouraged. He will get the job done. He will establish justice. So this is what he will do. Uh, then we are also told in verses 1 to 4 what he will not do. You see there in uh, verse 2, he will not shout or cry out. Uh, I think it's talking about how he will not be self-promoting. I mean, you know, in other, sense, in other words, he won't be like Donald Trump. Lah, huh? yeah, he will not raise his voice in the streets. He will not be all about you know, promoting himself. And then verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break. Do you know what's a bruised reed? Bruce Reed is uh, Andrew Reed's brother. No, no, okay, I'm kidding. Okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I tried it out at Bible study and they all laughed. And I said, hey, should I go with it? They said, yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> so, okay, anyway. Okay, so Bruce Reed, he will not break. Smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. Uh, I'm sorry to make you laugh, but actually these are very uh, poignant pictures. Because a Bruce Reed is useless. I mean, it can't support anything, smoldering wick, you know, the flame has gone off. But see the gentleness, the care of the servant. I think the Bruce Reed, the smoldering wick, is describing God's people. How, you know, sometimes we like to imagine we are a tree planted by streams of water, you know, leaves and fruit flourishing. And sometimes there are moments when we are that stable. And then sometimes, you know, we have to imagine that, oh, we are on fire for God, you know, and then it's a flame that's always burning. And yes, sometimes that's close to the truth. But so often and so many of God's people are more like bruised reeds, smoldering wicks. We are here in service, but how many of us have brought in burdens Issues that are raging in our hearts that, you know, maybe only the closest of our friends know about. We come in with great struggles and weaknesses. And the word here is that this servant, Jesus, does not despise us in our struggles. He does not look down on us in our weakness. He is gentle. Bruce Reed, he will not break. This is, this is, this is a servant who is so powerful that he can bring about justice. Justice on the earth. But he is, he is so powerful, yet capable of the softest, most comforting touch. That he can, he can be gentle with a bruised reed. He can, can fan a, a smoldering wick into flame again. So this is what uh, we are told 
about this servant. And then in verses 5 to 7, God speaks. And he's speaking directly to the servant. And God says that he is the creator of the heavens. He is the one who has spread out the earth. He's the one to give breath to his people. And what he's saying here is, this is the reason why God is not concerned only about Israel. Because if he is God of the whole earth, and then we will see here how his concern, how his purposes are for all the nations. So he says to the servant, verse 6, I The Lord have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people. And the people here is not just Israel. Because the next line is that you will be a light for the Gentiles. The whole nations, all the earth, all the peoples, the tribes, the languages are in view. Now what does it mean when God says to the servant, I will make you to be a covenant. Now, covenant is the word that is used when God makes a promise to his people. Now, we think of the covenant God made to Abraham, the the promise that he made, that Abraham will be blessed and he will be a blessing to all the nations. So the covenant is is that, that, that contract, that promise he has made to his people. But it's described in a funny way here because the servant will be made a covenant. How do you make the servant to be a covenant? Now, if we understand that a covenant essentially summarized is, you know, the way God says it again and again, uh, is summarized in this way, what is at the heart of the covenant, what is at the heart of God's promise is, I will be your God. You will be my people. That is at the heart of what God has promised in this covenant. And so when he says that, I will make you to be a covenant. Uh, you know, uh, Pastor Andrew's son, Ben, in our Bible study group, came up with this uh, very helpful illustration, I think, where it's like a bridge. I will make you to be this bridge. Because if a covenant is about restoring relationship between God's people and God, where God will be uh, their God, and these people will, you know, will, will belong to God. I mean, it's a, it's a picture of a relationship being restored. So he says of this servant, I will make you to be this covenant, I will make you to be this bridge, this bridge that restores relationship. And we see how so amazingly uh, the Lord Jesus, when he comes, and his work on the cross, restoring that relationship so that God can be our God and we who trust in Christ can be his people. And all this, not just for Israel, it is to be a light for the Gentiles. That's why you and I are here. To have our eyes open, to be freed from our prisons, freed from our dungeons, to be released from sin and the destiny of hell because of the work of this servant. And then verses 8 to 9, God speaks to his people. Now he says here, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Now notice that this mention of idols 
occurs here in verse 8 and also at the end of our section in verse 17. But those who trust in idols, verse 17, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Now, so this speaking of idols brackets, okay, what is now we're going to think about this in the middle. Okay, now I'll come back to this mention of the idols, but let's see what is it that is in the middle that the mention of idols bracket, okay? So uh, verse 10 to 16, uh, God's people sing. First, the Lord speaks, and the response that is called for is that God's people should sing. Verse 10, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. Now, when God does a new work, every time God does a new work in salvation history, God's people are encouraged, are commanded to sing a new song. And so here, uh, the work of this servant as he is being introduced results in God's people being commanded to sing to the Lord a new song. But notice, uh, who are the people singing and where they're singing? It's uh, you who go down to the sea, all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them. Islands, you know, we who live on a small island should, you know, take heart. Yeah, it's talking about us, right? Uh, but islands is actually talking about, okay, the ends of the earth, right? The, the furthest points of the earth. So all across the world, verse 11, in the wilderness and in towns, you know, in the desert and in the city, uh, people are singing. In the mountaintops and the sea, people should be singing. Okay, even uh, verse 11, let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Now, Kedar is uh, one of the sons of Ishmael. Okay, you don't think that they'll be singing but no, God's purposes extend even to people like them. Uh, let the people of Selah sing for joy. Selah is uh, one of the descendants of Esau. Okay, right? So again, you don't expect them to be singing. But God's purpose is that wide, that all-encompassing. Now, let me be clear that God is not saying that every single person will sing, meaning that every single person will be saved but rather his purposes involved people from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. And so I hope you can see from our responsive reading in Revelation 7, where again and again John is given that vision of how what is spoken of here in prophecy is something that will be fulfilled. John says, I, 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 I saw a multitude that could not be counted. So many God's people that have been saved and now from every tribe and nation praising Him. Friends, this is the response as we have been set forth before us, the work of the servant. That there must be a, a singing, a, a joy, because I think God understands, and I think that uh, you know, in our experience, we know the things that we value, the things that give us delight. I mean, we want to praise it. We want to we want to sing about it. I mean, look at any 
football fan when the season starts again. I mean, they sing their hearts out, oh, you never walk alone. I don't know the tune to that song. But then, you know, oh, I mean, these fans have been singing their hearts out because they take great delight in their football team. The things that you take delight in, you will sing about. And so here is this servant that God says, in whom I delight. Hey, this is, this is a person that God says, hey, my heart just wells up, you know, it's just overflowing with delight for him. And if God's response to this servant is that, I mean, can you see that what we're commanded to do here, verse 10, sing to the Lord, sing to this servant. I mean, it's not, it's not something that is just, okay, we come and then, you know, we just, you know, go through the motions and then we sing. No, we need to ask God to help us see clearly the value and worth of this servant. That we may sing with our hearts, praising him because he is worth it. Now, the chapter concludes with two pictures. Two pictures describing God at work. Okay, so the first one is in verse 13. The Lord will march out like a champion. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal with a shout. He will raise a battle cry, triumph over his enemies. I mean, this is a common picture of God, God as warrior. Okay, so this is, this is God fighting for us. This is God intervening for his people. God winning the victory for his people over the enemies. Okay, so that's the first picture. And the second picture, I mean, when I was studying this, it was a bit like, huh? It's a bit puzzling, right? Okay, but the second picture, verse 14, God says, For a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. Okay, so, so God is waiting. Okay, waiting for the right time. And when the right time has come, verse 14, But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp and pant. Now, why is God being described as a woman in labor? Now, I think the point here is just like a woman in labor, there will come a time when the inevitable happens. Yes, sometimes there may be a false alarm. Just like with Keith and Sarah. Keith was in Barcelona and then Sarah felt the you know, the contractions. And then, okay, she, she waited for a while. And then when it, when it became regular, okay, no choice, called, called Keith. And then Keith had just arrived in Barcelona two days and then got the phone call and then, okay, straight away came back. But it was a false alarm, you know? But you see, the inevitable will happen because, was it yesterday? Not yesterday, when? Thursday, okay, sorry. I'm busy preparing sermon. I'm not looking at my social media. Okay, so Thursday. Thursday, Sarah. <laughs> I mean, the inevitable happened, right? The baby was born. Okay, so this is describing how God, waiting for the right time, His purpose will happen. The inevitable of God accomplishing His plans will happen. Now, I've said, this section is bracketed by the mention of the idols. Right, verse uh, 9, I will not 
yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. No, the one who rightly should be praised is me, right? God is saying. And then verse 17, oh, see this warning, those who trust in idols, you who trust in idols, you will be turned back in utter shame. Now, I hope we recognize that uh, idols here is more than just the statues, the metal images. I mean, the idols are anything that we say to them, that we give to them that, that trust and that worship that God alone should be getting from us. And so, all of us worship idols. All of us bow down to an altar of an idol of one form or another. Right? Whether it is, you know, our job or our grades or fitness or our children or a certain relationship. I mean, all of us are idol worshippers. I hope you recognize that. This is not a controversial statement at all. And so God is saying here, we all struggle with this idol worship. Now, it's not enough to say to the people, stop worshipping that idol. Now, if it is possible to say, okay, okay, I'll stop worshipping my grades, and then I may have some success not making my grades an idol. But the tendency of our human hearts is then we will find another idol to worship. Okay, so it is not enough to simply say, stop worshipping those idols. God has to actually say and help us. No, see how I, see how my servant is so much more worthy of your trust, so much more worthy of your worship. I mean, and then God, by, by, by bracketing this section, telling us to sing, and giving us these images of him as warrior. I mean, like, I mean, it's, it's supposed to help us fight against the idolatry of our hearts. I mean, it's a bit like, it's a bit like, uh, the difference between reading a script of a movie and actually watching the movie. Okay. So I know not everyone has watched it, but, um, I got to pick a movie that most people have watched. And okay, so like Avengers Endgame. Okay, so I mean, imagine you were given the script, you know, before the movie came out. And then, wow, oh, no one else has this. Well, you know, then you read and then you come to the point where uh, Thanos, okay, is fighting Captain America. And then Thanos is winning, right? And then, oh, Captain America is fighting. He's beaten up. Even his shield is cracked and broken. And then it looks as if they're going to lose, right? But then... Wow, those zoom, 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 things come out, right? Right, Doctor Strange, and then, wow, the reinforcements arrive. Wow, Wakanda, and wow, you know, and all the, the dead, uh, Marvel heroes, you know, caught in the blip. Wow, they now return. I mean, it's a great moment. Then Captain America says, Avengers, assemble. I mean, now if you read it, and you're a Marvel fan, you're like, wow, I mean, that's great. But then that's nothing compared to when you actually watch it. And you watch it and you're all like goosebumps and your hair stands up. And then you're like, whoa, some people go, yeah, you know what I mean? Uh, okay. That's if you're a Marvel fan. But I'm just, the point is, <laughs> the point is the difference between just reading about it 
and when it comes alive to you in video, in 4K, you know, high definition with the sound and all that, God is trying to help us move from just reading it to His truth being video in our hearts. Because He's, he's giving us these pictures. The idol that we worship, what are they? They're like that. God, what is He? He's this warrior that's strapping on his weapons, he's marching out, I mean, he's going, and then he's like, you know, muscles ripped, and then, right, you know, he come up against the enemies. This is God. Which one are you going to trust in? And then this is God, who, who with a picture of the woman, <laughs> and then the baby comes out. I mean, that's a picture of, of saying God's purposes. Nothing is going to stop it. Are you going to trust that, or are you going to trust I mean, he's giving us these pictures that we should not vainly and uselessly put our hope in idols, but trust him, delight in him, know that he is enough, more than enough. The next song that we're going to sing, we're going to declare that Christ is enough. And the way I want to urge you to sing is to sing it as a prayer. Like in my own heart now, I know. I want him to be enough. But so many times he is not. I strive and grasp at other things. So sing it as a prayer. God, please help me to see how great you are, how great your servant is. That more and more my delight should be in him, more and more I should find that in him, I have all, I have everything I need. He is enough. May God help us. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.